You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Episode of Unsung Heroes. I am your host, Dr. Saba Maruf, and I am joined today by my co-host Calvin Moore. And hey, what's up? <laughs> um, and I'm so excited. I'm super excited um, to um, introduce my next guest. Um, but just as a you know, an intro, um, just wanted to welcome you back. Another episode of Unsung Heroes: Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. Um, and as our regular listeners know, but for our new listeners, our purpose is to tell amazing stories of ordinary people who have been sparked by pe- their passion to become movers and shakers and change makers in our communities. And, you know, my hope is that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. Um, I'm super excited today. Um, a little bit, uh, it's a little been a little bit of helter skelter because Actually, our guest today is my first guest from California. And uh, hi. Uh, hi. And this is Dr. Hala Sabri. Hi, Hala. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. And just, you know, just for, so we were supposed to be on live later today. And last night I realized, wait a second, she's in California, totally different time zone. So thank you so much for being <laughs> flexible. Um, no worries. Hala that happens is, to me often. I'm like, I think oh my being God. in California, people are. Um, it's it's hard to to do the time difference, and me too. I, I'll I'll say like you know I'll I'll start talking to you at five o'clock, and they don't I don't realize that sometimes it's people's bedtime. So completely wow. understandable. Yeah. Uh, where in uh, where in California? I'm in Southern California. I'm about an hour outside of LA, but I guess everything in California is an hour apart. So yeah. that doesn't okay. really make Even too if much it's sense. Because of the traffic. <laughs> yeah, I go to. I'm, I'm working on my second master's degree out at uh, Biola in La Mirada. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. no, Biola is an hour away from us. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 LA is pretty big, so uh, I found that out. <laughs> I'm actually going to be by there today. So okay. Cool. I'll uh, do a virtual wave for you. Oh, that'd be great. Wow. That'll make me feel really good. <laughs> so, by way, yeah. as an introduction, um, just for our listeners. Dr. Sabri um, is a very inspirational person, and it's interesting because we've actually never met in person, but I feel like I know you, Hella, and along with 60,000 members. So she's an emergency room physician and a mom of three, including twins, right? You have twins. I do. I have two and a half. They're two and a half, and Ooh, we'll talk boy, about boys them. Boys are girls. Boys are girls. One of each. Okay. Oh, well, and then you nice. have a yeah. daughter, older daughter, right? Serena, I, ha- I have a daughter Serena. that's going to be four in the end of June. Wow, they're pretty young. Um, But uh, Hala is actually the founder of the Physicians Moms Group, Physician Moms Group, which is a Facebook group and an online community where more than 60,000 physician members who identify as mothers. Um, The group is an active one with an average of 415 posts, over 7,000 comments, and 24,000 likes on a daily basis. Members of the group recently published a cross-sectional study, actually, on the perceived discrimination experienced by physician mothers in the Journal of America, the American Medical Association. So we're super excited, Hala. That was just a very short introduction. Um, you do oh, so no. much. And I'm really excited um, to tell our listeners about uh, PMG. I joined, I I want to say I was one of the first thousand people, but maybe I'm just being, you know, overly zealous about that. But um, it was basically, I think, November 2014. I was about to have my fourth yeah. And um, it's just an amazing online community. Um, so I'm really excited to share Aww. your story today. No, thank you so much. Um, and, I, and I love talking to all our members. And just like you, I feel like I know everybody. In fact, it's kind of hard to, to separate reality. Sometimes I'm talking to my friends on my, and I'll, I'll reference you know, a friend I have. And they say, wait, is this a friend that you really have or <laughs> one on PMG? And I, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, they're all the same at this point. you know. But yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that um, PMG has been definitely a change in medicine and in the way we communicate and you know, I started it, yeah, in 2014, so you must have been one of the first um, thousand members. I started it um, just with 20 people that I knew and that I knew that I could have such conversations without feeling super vulnerable. 
Um, but I never had those conversations because they either lived on the East Coast or we had been separated for many years from medical school or some type of rotation that we, you know, clicked on. Um, so I just took a, I just, I don't know, just took a, took a chance and mm-hmm. put them all in, you know, a, a group, 20 people and just thought, you know, hey, this, this may sink or swim, but I really hope that this works, you know? So I did it and it seems like everybody has that void in their life and the voids are different. Um, but you know, we can, we can celebrate those voids, um, and, and try to figure out some solutions. And so I think that that's why the group is so successful. And I think that's my hope for these studies that are going to be coming out, that it's to try to find solutions, you know, for these issues that physician women are facing. And honestly, I really think that physician men are facing them too. You know, it just, they may be a little bit different, you know? And so I'm hoping that we can, you know, kind of start that conversation on, you know, what's wrong with medicine um, and, and, and how do we change it? So backtracking a little bit, Hala, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? And because um, I know a little bit about your story, but I would love yeah. for you to share it. You had your journey um, and the intersection, you talk about the intersection between a physician, being a physician and um, becoming a mother and kind of how mm-hmm. this idea started and, you know, part of this show is talking about stories of resilience, um, you know, going through difficult times, but how different individuals take those moments and grow and, um, you know, healing through creating something. So can you share us a little, share yeah. a little bit about that? Um, well, in reality, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person <laughs> with um, never, never thought I would be in this situation at all. I, you know, I actually live about five miles away from where I grew up. And, you know, I'm a small town kind of girl in California and never really had any difficulties in my life. And, um, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that because, you know, I, I meet so many people now and I, and I think, gosh, I, I really have it good. And, and I, and I hate to admit that, but I, I think I can use that, um, you know, that story because I think that that's important to know that there comes a point where you realize that not everything is perfect. You know, I grew up in a really sheltered um, neighborhood in Southern California. I never really had a lot of issues. My, my dad was a doctor. I had this idea, this perception of what it was like to be a doctor. I didn't even want to be a doctor. My dad made me be a doctor. And so, you know, my story is not one <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> there's not much resilience going on when I was young, you know. Um, a lot of people have way better stories and um, they're so inspiring. Um, so I kind of feel a little bit fraudulent, like sitting here talking about resilience because I really had a good. Um, and then, you know, September 11th, happened. And that was a really big change in my family's life being that I'm Egyptian and I'm Muslim. And we did not identify with anything that was happening um, and what was being perceived on the radio. And, and, and it was at that point that my dad, a physician himself that came to the United States for a better life for our family, um, kind of told me like, listen, you know, you need to go into medicine. And, um, you know, I wanted the conversation to be over. So I just said, okay, fine, I'll apply. So I applied and got in and I was like, oh man, now, now what do I do? You know, now I'm committed to this career that <clears throat> I'm not really sure if I want to have, but you know, honestly, that was like the biggest blessing that I had. And so I went to medical school and um, really wanted to go to business school. So I went to the only school that accepted me that had a dual program, which was really rare back then. Um, when I say back then, it's in 2002, so it's not like that was a long time ago, but medicine <laughs> progressed a lot. Um, and then I, I went to medical school with the idea that, you know, I was going to go into administration and really, you know, represent doctors and be an advocate for physicians because I saw what my dad was going through, which is interesting because that was kind of the start of the whole burnout phase, you know, of all of these. That's when the start of insurance companies started happening and all these other factors in medicine that started to change how physicians' lives were, um, some for the better and some for the worse. And so when I you know, I, I thought my career path was, you know, just basically purely administration. And so when I got into the whole healthcare aspect and the patient care aspect, I loved it so much. And so that was my first kind of thrown for a loop. And so my ideas of having children and being a mom and all these things were never factored in because my, my life was going to look different. You know, I was going to have a nine to five job, this whole cush, you know, kind of perceived idea of what administration does, which is probably not what really happens, but I just had this idea. So when I, when I finally had children and they had them all close together, I, um, I realized I had no idea what I was doing and I could not even, I couldn't even go back and, and base any of my decision-making on experience. I didn't have any experience. I 
grew up really sheltered and really taken care of. And all of a sudden now I'm expected to grow up. And, um, you know, it's really embarrassing for me to say that, but it's, it's true. And, and I think that this story is, of, of how I grew up is it probably resonates with a lot of other physicians as well. Um, and there are a lot of other physicians that had a, a completely different background, but regardless, we're all here. And mm-hmm. so this is not like a contest of who had, you know, a different kind of um, upbringing or story, but now we're all here and we're all struggling together. So how do we, how do we crowdsource and how do we come together to make things better? And my initial question was super simple of, you know, how do I, how do I arrange childcare for my kids? Um, Childcare is super expensive, as anybody who's listening knows. Um, and when you have three kids under the age of 18 months, you know, you just know that just one person can't do that. So how many people do I need to hire to help me? And how much is that going to cost me? Because now I have to go back to work to allow other people to be in my home to take care of my children. And I think that in itself was really hard for me to really manage. And that was kind of my stressor, and then that opened up the door for everybody else's stressors, which were a lot more, I guess, detailed and serious and maybe life-threatening that, you know, kind of allowed that discussion to happen. So, uh, you know, my kids, you know, basically my story is my kids stressed me out and it, um, <laughs> started a, Definitely it started a movement. That. It started a movement, uh, you know, but in medicine, so it's good. To remind, but um, I remember talking about when you were expecting the twins or right after you had them, you had a period... I mean, and I guess that's what you're talking about. So this is close, to, uh, close yeah. after you had the twins. I'm imagining. I made the group when I was pregnant with the twins. I was about 31 weeks pregnant, and I um, had decided because I was I was really stressed out, which was a new, like I said, very new feeling mm-hmm. for me. I'm an emergency medicine physician, so I'm really used to um, you know a high stress environment. Um, and kind of taking it in with ease. And so all of a sudden I started kind of having palpitations. My heart was like skipping beats and I was having shortness of breath. And when you're pregnant and that's happening, it could be normal, but it can also be deadly. And so I started thinking, oh, of course, emergency medicine physician, I was dying. And so I was talking to another emergency medicine physician who's Dr. Dina Safe, who spearheaded this whole project with me and um, is... um, basically kind of the co-founder really. Um, and I, and I text messaged her and she had already had her twins, uh, three weeks prior and those were her first children. And so I had messaged her and I said, Hey, you know, I think I'm having some complications in my pregnancy. And she goes, no, it sounds like you're stressed out. And I said, yeah, I am. And what are we going to do about it? And so that's kind of how that conversation started. And, you know, I've, I've known Dina all of my life in my entire life. And, Mm never had I had such a vulnerable, raw conversation with her until that moment I sent the text message. And that was only because I really thought my life was in danger, you know, and, um, and it's interesting. It's interesting when you get pushed to that point, you know, what, what vulnerability can do. And so, yeah, I made the group and I was still pregnant. And then I had the kids, I think, um, three, three weeks later. Wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's interesting to me. Okay. So you, you had twins, I, I feel I feel right. bad because like the older one is left out in in my conversations about twins. Like there's there's always a one who was like, wait, I was yeah, here, I, I was here first, and then, but then you get two, you get two of everything, right? Um, so my sister has twins, and and they're uh-huh. e- they're evil people. I'm just going to I'm going to put that out there right now. They are evil, evil people. They they need they need love. They're they're six or seven at this point. I can't remember. I try to stay away from them, but um, she is now pregnant uh, with her second set of twins. Wow, really? And, yeah, because God hates her. Uh, and so, <laughs> so <laughs> and this is, this is going to be chil- chil- children number uh, five and, and, si- five and oh. six. This is five and six. Oh. She already has four, right? And so, wow. this is five. I know, right? Uh, it's a womb, not a taxi cab, people. Uh, but she, <laughs> she's having sick, uh, five and six. And my question is for you in regards to having twins with such a high pressure career. You know, when I think of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what my sister, my sister was a graphic design artist and she was freelance. So when she had twins, it didn't really disrupt her life too much. And my mom was around to help and things like that. So with, so she doesn't have the pressure of, okay, you got to get back to work. You got to, you know, help other people be, be healthy and, and things like that. So in that kind of career, you, you get pregnant that second time expecting to have one more kid, right? But mm-hmm. then you have two, right? That's how that works. Um, has, has the fact that you've had twins disrupted your career a little bit more, do you think, or is it just kind of like par for the course? You know, actually the, the hardest part was having my first one. Um, and the reason for that is that, um, 
you know, like I mentioned, I really wanted to go into administration. And mm-hmm. so I was on this track of, you know, taking on every type of meeting I could, any type of responsibility I could. And um, when I got pregnant with my first one, I actually was so scared. I didn't know exactly what, how to tell people how they would perceive it. And in fact, um, my whole goal and of career, my whole career goal changed after I had my first one. So I know my first one gets left out of stories a lot because the twins, you know, everybody gets attracted to that idea. But she actually is the, one of the biggest game changers. And the reason why I say that is that after I gave birth to her, and I wrote an article about this, and my situation's changed dramatically since then, but I was kind of hoping to get this one director position at my work. And I, I thought I had done everything for it. I was volunteering for everything. I was going to all these extra meetings and and then I was on maternity leave, which I only took five weeks after a C-section because I didn't want wow. to disrupt the schedule. I didn't want to look like I was rocking the boat. Mm-hmm. And this, these are feelings that are resonating within the group, you know, and this is something that is very common. Um, and then when I was on maternity leave, we got an email that that position actually went to a man. Hmm. And a man who I knew was leaving our group um, within a year, um, he, he's awesome. Uh, he 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 did an amazing job. I mean, there's, I, I he's actually my friend, you know. So yeah. I, I don't have any ill feelings towards him at all. But that's when I was shocked, and I had gone to my boss and I had asked him. I said, you know, why was I passed over, you know, for this position? And he said, well, I didn't know you wanted it. And I said, well, how could you not know? I was applying for everything, and I had va- basically said I'm interested in getting, you know, kind of moving on up. Mm-hmm. And he said, well. I just figured because you had a kid that you'd want to be a mom. And I was like, well, why can't I be a mom and a doctor? And he goes, well, you're right. I probably should not have assumed. Um, And, and, you know, we had a long discussion. And and honestly, my boss is fantastic. And we have a – because of that, we we have an amazing, amazing relationship. And I'm in that position now, you know, because, you know, that that gentleman left. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I ended up taking the position. But, but, you know, he – now he's like one of the biggest advocates, not only for maternal leave, maternal leave, but paternal leave, and he's very sensitive to family structure. It's made things so much better at work for everybody, not just me. And so when I got pregnant with the twins, to kind of answer your question, I didn't have that barrier. Okay. You know, I told him, I told him, hey, listen, I took five weeks off, and that sucked. I am not doing that again. I'm taking three months off. I don't care what you have to say. And he's like, no problem. Like, did not even bat an eye, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that was stressful for him or not, I don't know, but he did not make me feel it. And he actually bought me, he's so sweet, for, (laughs) you know, for my first, he, you know, bought me a gift for the kid, for my child. And and then when I was pregnant with my my second and third, he actually got me this whole spa day at this, like, day spa. And, um, you know, he's just just a sweet person. So my my twins did not... uh, they didn't get that brunt of my, my career change. It was more my, my first, and you know, know, and I think that's because I was, I was actually verbal at that point because I had, um, I had the group, I had the group that lifted me up and, mm-hmm. and taught me mm-hmm. it's not okay. It's okay to, to, to air your frustrations and, and to negotiate for what you want. There's a, not, not, it's it's interesting ahead. that you're saying this. I would not have known what you were going through was a thing in your particular profession unless mm-hmm. uh, there's a TV show that I watched my favorite uh, sitcom right now called Blackish pretty funny show oh, yeah. um but uh the main character's uh wife uh is mm-hmm. played by Diana Ross's daughter and right. she plays a doctor Dr. Rainbow Johnson on the show and just in the most recent episode She's pregnant – or not most recent episode, but uh, she's pregnant at this point in the season and there's an episode where she's trying to, at work, in a hospital, hide her pregnancy from her superiors um, because she doesn't want to lose out on promotions and – I think that happened know, at Grey's, in Grey's Anatomy too. OK. So yeah, I actually. never watched Grey's Anatomy because that was too serious for me every week. <laughs> um, but, it but it's kind of interesting. You, my, my – I guess my, my thought, my ignorance on this is I would think that the, the profession of – uh, being a medical professional, you know, having entire floors dedicated to new having moms babies. and babies that's and things real, like that—that that's so true. That, uh, the idea would be like, okay, you know, you got you got a baby, yes, and you also have a career, and we'll see you back here in however many weeks because we know that this you worked hard for this position and it's important for you. And just because you have a baby doesn't mean that quote unquote your life is over and you're just going to go home mm-hmm. and only mm-hmm. be at home. Uh, nothing wrong with mothers who stay at home. That's a great job as well. Happy Mother's Day to everybody at the time yeah. that we're recording, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I think that's a harder job, actually. Yeah, yeah me too. That's, I've, a whole, I've always, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, a whole yeah. other podcast. <laughs> uh, but, but continue. I'm sorry. Well, I think it speaks to also um, the, the importance, well, many things, the importance of male allies. Um, yes, as women, we have to stick up for each other, um, be advocates for each other, but um, we can't, 
we have to all be in this together. Um, and then also exactly what you're saying is that, and I think all the women in the group, myself included, um, would echo all that, that you have to learn to stand. And that's what you did. That's what you exemplified. Stand up and say and make a stand and be. And sometimes it might, you know, be perceived as making a stink about it. But no, it's not. It's that you are standing up for what um, you believe and what you want. And exactly. And that was that's that is a good example that he right away kind of um, realized that he did make that assumption, huh? Yeah, no, he, he, he's a, he's fantastic. And, um, you know, I'm really lucky and yeah, like blackish and I, I do watch that show. And actually I'm, I'm going to tell you this weird, um, fun fact is that, so Tracy Ellis Ross, who plays, um, yes, the you. main character on that show. So I actually got to meet her last oh, year. There's so a cool. woman in our group, um, named, um, Gretchen, who she is, um, on the National Women History Museum's uh, board of directors. And so apparently, did you guys know that there's a National Women History Museum? I had no idea. No. no. Well, th- there isn't. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <Trick> question. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, but there is, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, organization who's trying they're funding it they're making this national women history museum because there isn't one that's dedicated just to women and every year they have this um this benefit or this brunch one time i think they have it in chicago and one time of the year and then another time of the year they have it in la where you know all the stars show up because you know that's where they live and um i was invited to go to the brunch last year and tracy ellis ross was actually honored by this national women history museum to be inducted into their virtual museum, which is going to be live hopefully soon. They're getting a spot on the um, the National Mall in Washington, D.C. And she gave a tremendous speech about women, not only in medicine, but in the acting career and all the discrimination. And honestly, like tears were flowing from my eyes, not only because I'm an emotional person, but also like I just resonated with her story. Um, and I thought I knew her because I watched her on TV, but and I, and I don't really know her now. I just think that I'm best friends with her. <laughs> is, she part of, like, is she part of the group? <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish. Like she's like honorary member. But she uh, she honestly she she really embraces that role and she does a really good job. And another fun fact is that her aunt is Barbara Ross Lee, who is a physician, and um, she actually was the dean of my medical school when oh, wow, I was so going to medical school. And so um, I've had like amazing conversations with that family and just, they are like the pinnacle of like strength and resilience. Mm-hmm. And um, she does a great job showing how scary it is to be a physician and being pregnant and in the hospital. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. It's so, it's so ironic and a little hypocritical that we sit there and talk about how it's important to nurture your family and nurture mm-hmm. yourself and take care of yourself so you can optimize your health. And physicians are, you know, doing that by sacrificing their own health of them and their family, you know? For sure. I can it's say really, personally really difficult. too. Yeah. I mean, I exactly, I've felt the same way that I didn't want people to think that I needed extra time or I needed this or that. Um, after my first baby, I had my first, um, my fourth year, beginning of my fourth year of medical school. Oh my gosh. And I actually was able to take some time off, but I went back when he was, there was a few things. I went back when he was 10 weeks old and I remember it was actually, actually a relatively quote-unquote easy rotation but it wasn't because I had to be there like 7 15 in the morning it was a dermatology rotation and one of the mm-hmm. things I remember there was a resident and you know they're all really nice but they many of them didn't have kids and here I'm a medical student that has a baby one was like oh wow you got um te- you're coming back after 10 weeks that's a long time and I was like what I'm like my I was crying inside and I'm like this is a baby that's biologically dependent on me and I'm like dying and I'm like that is not a long time and number two um and I'm sure we'll get into this when we talk about the study. Um, but I specifically remember, um, you know, I was nursing. And so nursing moms have to, you know, if you want to continue your milk production, I was too scared to ask for a proper place to um, to pump. And so I would use like they, were, they had these huge individual bathrooms. They didn't have stalls, but like you it was a big room where you lock the door and I would just disappear like three times a day during, and they were pretty long days and I didn't tell anyone and I would just go do it. And then I would walk back in like late. Um, and I just, I was kind of too scared to say anything, even when I was going for interviews and I was going into psychiatry, I'm a psychiatrist. Again, I was kind of afraid to say anything. I didn't want to make it seem that I don't want them to know that I'm a new mom and that I'm going to need this or that. So I didn't tell them I just had a baby. I didn't tell them I needed to go pump. Um, And it's really interesting. I mean, I think 
so many women have had this experience. So can you tell us actually a little bit going into that about the study on the perceived discrimination by physician mothers, how that kind of came to be and what um, a little what were the results? Yeah, so um you know, these conversations, just like your experience with the dermatology rotation or your feelings of not wanting to share your motherhood, um, either from verbal or nonverbal cues, these are really, really common, you know, feelings and um, ex- and experiences that our group has had. And so although I made this group really just to talk about childcare, because um, <laughs> that was, I really had just like a one-track mind at that moment you know, it was really natural and organic to start talking about other stressors in our life. And and part of it had to do with the discrimination in the workplace. And we're also scared to even talk about it initially. I remember the first time someone had posted something, you know, the, the, the conversation started with like, you know, kind of a disclaimer, like, hey, you know, I know I'm really stressed out and this might just be me. And, you know, obviously taking blame for the situation that is not really her fault. Um, and then that just opened up a flood to, everybody putting in their two cents on what happened to them. And, um, you know, it was really amazing as an administrator in the group to kind of look back and go, you know, and I have a bird's eye view to be like, what is happening here? You know, and luckily, you know, we had a group of researchers that are in the group um, that felt the same way. And so they actually approached me and they said, hey, you know, what if we actually took these issues and gathered data to make sure that this is truly legit issues and these are not anecdotal stories. And let's see if we can change, we can really change medicine, you know? And, um, you know, that conversation, I remember exactly where I was. I remember everything going, you know what? Yes, this is, this is one of the purposes of PMG. I I just know it. And so um, we moved forward. They did a fantastic job. This group of researchers, um, there's 12 of, there's 14 of us total um, and 12 of them that initially started. And, we got our IRB through UCSF. Dr. Eleni Linos is our research director, and um, I, all of the authors are listed on there, and they're all super fantastic, and I probably could spend an hour talking about each one of them, and they each have different backgrounds, different specialties, different experiences, different number of kids, you know, all of these things, you know, so it's really neat to get their collective ideas um, and they just, they're the brains, really. And um, so we put together, um, well, really, they put together a... Um, a, a, a very extensive survey. And the survey was not only about discrimination. They had a lot of other factors that they were gathering data on. And um, we got um, a good number of people in the group to take this survey. And when we started looking at the results, we were shocked ourselves. You know, I, I thought that they would show, you know, results in the favor of what we were trying to prove. You know, that was my hypothesis. But honestly, not to that not to that degree. You know, I mean, our results were you know, insane. So, so just to see that, you know, up to, you know, I think it was like 90% of women who had discriminated, you know, um, gender discrimination. I mean, four out of five moms, you know, um, whether it was due to motherhood or not, you know, it just, that's, that's just insane. It shouldn't happen. You know, these, these things should not happen. Um, and these things, I, I can't really say too much about the other results because they're crossing over into other papers. Um, and so for breaches, I can't say too much, Mm, but, but when you when you when you look at this data and you go, wow, like, you know, people could take this one of two ways. You could take it as really eye opening and start asking additional questions on what else can we study in medicine and how can we fix it, or you could decide to be ignorant about it and go, well, this is just a bias study, or this is just, you know, we're going to sweep this under the rug, you know. And I think we've already seen both types of reactions, you know, um, just in the last couple of days that it's been out. Um, but I really think, um, that the results are just astounding and, um, you know, really just speak, you know, speak, you know, just volumes for, for what's happening, unfortunately, in the workplace. And medicine is that, um, is one of repetition. It's one of routine and it's going to be really hard to break these things, but I really hope that we can. Now, uh, a kind of a follow-up question moving from the sphere of work to the sphere of home. Uh, and this is a question that as I'm sitting here, I'm going, what do I ask this question of a guy? Uh, and I'm starting to understand just through some of my own reading and study, it is a question that I'm needing to ask men more and more, especially when I do my Father's Day special uh, on my show in a few weeks. But we're doing an episode uh, on another show that I host uh, called Women in Transition. Uh, and that episode will focus on 
women in the workplace. And this is kind of interesting that questions about home or keeping place are generally directed towards mm-hmm. women. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be asking this question of, of men as well. So just so you know, when I'm asking you this question, um, what is it? What is it like to, I mean, you've talked about, you know, routine and things like that within the medical community and some things that need to change, but routine is very important at home, very important uh, for the, for the rearing of children, uh, even as they develop their different personalities. How do you personally uh, keep home once, once you're done with, with work, how do you make home home for your children, for yourself, for your husband? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming a husband's a picture. I, I don't know that I should assume that. Um, but, uh, no, no, yeah. Okay. You, you assumed correctly. Okay. So all right. Fine. Um, <laughs> but you know, you know what they say when you make an assumption. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you keep home? How do you make, how do you make home a place when you're, when you're there? Um, so that's something I still struggle with and I, and I don't have a great answer for, um, you know, my husband is, fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because you'll probably listen to this, but he and actually, he's, you know what? He's in Detroit right now. Is that oh my gosh. Crazy? We should have him I know. over. He's coming back today. Um, <laughs> so hi, Mo. Um, he's, <laughs> he works in the aerospace engineer uh, as an aerospace engineer, and he has a pretty um, high profile position in his company. And so he, he travels a lot. Okay. And so people often think like, you know, and and rightfully so that if I'm super busy at work, then, you know, to counterbalance that and keep the homeostasis of my, of my home, that my husband must be, you know, kind of filling in the gaps and he fills in a lot of gaps, you know, but ultimately he has a career that is flourishing as well. And so we have a nanny who has been with us since um, my first was four months old. And so she's kind of, you know, our rock, you know, and um, she's, you know, she kind of acts like my mom and his mom and the kids call her grandma. Oh, sorry. I don't know what happened there. Um, she's a, she's a family friend. And so she really maintains the stability in our household. And some people may say that with a lot of, um, embarrassment. Um, but you know what? I'm just thankful. Hmm. I am mm-hmm. thankful that she's here. I'm thankful that she does what she does. Um, and I couldn't live my life without her, but I do want to, I do want to be that person that is stable, but I just know that there, that I have my limitations. And even it's funny that you asked this question because when I was sending my kids off to school today, this morning, my eldest, she comes back to give me a hug. The two, the twins are in the car. Um, my, na- my nanny's taking them to school and my, my daughter comes back and she's all proud of her outfit this morning. Cause she's wearing these ballet flats that are new that I bought her. And so she comes prancing back in and she goes, mama, I'm going to give you a hug. And so she gives me a hug and then she goes, listen, don't go to work. Okay. It's enough work for you. <laughs> and, and it kind of, I was just laughing cause you know, she's just growing up. She's, you know, going on four, but she thinks she's acting like she's 15, but she, but she notices that she remembers and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so that's something that I struggle with. And, and to answer your question, I really don't, I, I think that all of us feel that. And I think that we all feel that we are good moms. Um, but when we have moments like that, like this morning, I feel horrible, hmm. you know, and right. I feel like I'm, I, I'm not providing that stability. You know, I am providing a lot of things, you know, but I'm not providing that stability for her. And so it's a constant struggle. And, and, and I think that nobody's ever going to feel hundred percent balanced. And I think one of the things that a lot of women do say in the group that they just want a consistent schedule. Um, you know, many of us in the group, um, don't have nine to five jobs, you know, we, we take call or we're shift workers, you know, or we're doing nights or whatever it may be. There's some people who have found that balance really well. And we, we try to learn from them, you know, but, um, but it's hard. It's hard when, you know, duty calls, you know, this is life and death. You know, if, if I need a staff in emergency room, unfortunately my kids kind of get shafted in that, you know, because your life, if, if it was your life, you know, you would want your doctor there. And so I think, I think it's really hard. Um, and I think that also one of the assumptions I made going into the group that everybody's life looked like mine, and it's not true. We have a lot of stay at home dads. 
uh, that um, these women depend on 100%, and they do a fantastic, fantastic job. And they've actually formed their own group, their own support group now, um, because their needs are much different. I can't even imagine what they go through, the you know, dads, and right? they're working really hard and double time, you know, they're, you know, husband, provider, and, you know, um, you know, caretaker for the kids and, um, they probably have lots of other conflicting feelings and those would be really good people to, to interview on your show. Um, and they're, they're super amazing. Um, and then you have, you know, dual physician families or, you know, dual working, you know, families, and you just see kind of how, how, how they work on it. And I just think that nobody should assume what the roles are because the roles are changing. But yeah, you know, there's people who still, still seek that traditional family and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm one of them, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I want that traditional family back in my, in my household where I'm, I'm, I'm around and, you know, my husband goes to work and comes back and, you know, it's all happy. And we all sit down at the dinner table, which I don't know when the last time that happened, unfortunately, yeah. you know. But. So that group, is, that's actually an interesting thing, too. Just there's been so many spinoffs from PMG. So there's that group, the dad's group, mm-hmm. dad's married to PMGs. And then I think so probably hundreds of, I mean, all the different specialties. A lot of people have started their own specialties, like spinoffs from, you know, mm-hmm. there's fashion groups like style MD. We're going to be talking to the mm-hmm. uh, leader. Is, is of this that. like the PMG network? Is yeah, that kind it's of deal, like right? huge. And speaking of our community, I think we've had some really interesting, beautiful, very sad. I mean, this is a group where we share our lives with each other. Can you touch upon some of those um, stories that have been particularly, you know, poignant or touching? Mm-hmm. I think. Um, well, gosh, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two off the bat that I, I, I'll talk about. One is um, that, that they just kind of popped in my mind. Um, there's this one woman that I actually met in um, Houston. I don't even know her name. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know her name, um, but I met her at an event. I had flown to Houston for an event, and um, she kind of quietly came up to me, and she introduced herself to me. And – excuse me <coughs> – I'm so sorry. Um, She came up to me and she um, had told me her story. And her story was that her child had a very rare, rare illness. And um, it caused that it caused her to have to give up her career and she had to be at home with him. And um, she was in a place of probably a little bit of depression, um, kind of, you know, worrying about her her child and his and his health. And also, you know, kind of battling that whole, you've devoted your whole life to this career uh, or starting this career. And now you cannot work because your your family, that, that duty calls. And I think she was starting to feel very conflicted and um, probably had tons of feelings going on through her mind. And she, you know, as she was telling me her story, she starts crying. And so I start crying because that's just what I do. And she tells me, you know, what PMG has done for her is made her feel like a doctor again. Mm. And I never in a million years ever thought um, that that would, that would happen. And um, you tend to forget, you know, you tend to forget, tend to forget that there's women in the group that have sick children, have sick family members, um, they cannot work or they get sick themselves, you know, that yearn and they grieve, they grieve that part of their, of their life. You know, here I am going, how do I get, how do I make my, my job cut down? And they're like, how do I get back? How do I get back to it? Because I miss it so much, you know? And so you don't realize that. And so I think one, that's one story in that same meeting. So I lied. I'm going to add a third, a third story in that same meeting. It was like this huge event that we did in Houston. I met this husband and the husband is not a doctor, um, but he comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. Um, and I just want to thank you for saving my marriage. And I'm like, well, you don't have to thank me. I didn't do anything. And he's like, well, no, you don't understand. Like she had so much stress going on at work that I could not identify with. And she was just taking it home and just like kind of imploding that now that she has like this, uh, this support network, she, you know, airs it out and now she can be emotionally available to me. And it's really saved our marriage. And I never really thought about that because it saved my marriage. I mean, not that, you know, anything really bad was happening, but I could see where that was going. And, and, and so I was like, wow, I never really reflected upon that, you know? And so those are the types of, you don't realize it's, yes, it's a support group for those that are in there, but it's so important for all of those other relationships that you have outside of that support group because it really affects it, you know? And so those stories make me really proud. And with the days, the days that I just want to quit this all because I feel too much pressure, I think about these two instances and 
I, that's, that's what fuels me. So I, I don't know if those two people will be listening to this, but like they're part of my inspiration. Um, and then, and then a third example of something that's super fresh. And I know Saba, you'll probably, um, know what I'm talking about. There's a woman, um, oh my gosh, so emotional. There's a woman that, um, lives in, in Florida that just lost her child. Mm. And, um, and it's hard because, so she has three children. She has a, a son that's as old as my, my eldest. And then she has twins that are, or had twins that were boy girl that are as old as my, my twins. So I kind of see her family in mine, you know, exactly. And, um, unfortunately her, her daughter passed away last week, um, and had an unknown, um, cardiac, uh, cancer or tumor that, um, they didn't know about, um, because she had no symptoms until, you know, she passed away suddenly. They had a really good day together as a family. Um, and, 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 and then she, she passed away. Um, and it was really tragic. And to see, um, the whole community come together, um, there was members that attended the funeral. She, she didn't know how much support locally that she would have. And so members had, you know, all gone into, um, had gone to her funeral. Um, one member named um, Dr. Free Hess, who I actually went to medical school with, who's fantastic. She um, collected letters from us and she made like a, a package for her. And what we're working on now is um, kind of fulfilling any needs that she needs uh, right now. And I think that that's really important, you know, because it's society, you know, these are really sad stories and I don't mean to get super emotional about it, but, you know, anybody can listen to that story and feel sad you know, and empathize with her. Right. But, but very little people will think, well, what does she really need? She's a doctor. She's rich. She's got it all. Right. And so I think that we know one, those things are not true, but, but two, we need just as much support as any of anybody else. And so if we're not going to get it from the public, we need to get, give it to each other, you know? And so I really think that it's important to heal medicine. And what's funny is that, so she actually left this woman who lost her daughter, um, she actually left PMG. She left the group um, a couple of months ago because there was, you know, after the election, there was a lot of uncomfortable discussion. Um, and so she was kind of depending on these spinoffs. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, these spinoffs are, they're fantastic. They're fantastic because I, what I, what I think is really great is that yes, PMG was probably one of the first big groups that, that started and it started that discussion and it started that, that chain of domino effect of that uh, support you know, and I'm very proud of every single spinoff that's out there. Um, but one of the things that I hope that people understand, and whether this is about Physician Moms Group or any other type of organization that you're part of outside of medicine, it's, it's important not to lose touch with the bigger purpose, with the bigger group. Because at the end of the day, what happens, and I see this often, is people go to these spinoffs and then when they really need something, they come back to the bigger group. But but what's what's crazy about this, and and I'm I, re- I probably should document this, you know, in a more probably like a book format or something. But when you have like a community and people come and leave, you can't just go to a community and seek help when you need it. You need to give, and, and until you until you receive, you don't realize that that you need to also give back as well and stay in that group, you know. And so um, and so it's interesting that whenever there's tragedy or a question, people come back to the group, you know, but I think that these spinoff groups are amazing. But I think one of the things that we've lost is we've, we've completely started that whole resegmenting medicine mm. is, you know, if I wanted to make a really, a group that really just spoke to me, I would have made an emergency medicine mom of twins group in Southern California. That's what I would have made. But that's not helpful because if you sit there and live in this, you know, I hate to use the term echo chamber, but if you do live in that, you know, you're not going to really be enriched with everybody else's lives, you know, and when it comes down to it, you know, we all need each other, you know, um, and these smaller communities are so important because they're intimate, they're special, they have, you know, specific focuses, but the, the bigger group, um, whether it's PMG or any other organization, I mean, this, this is, this is just in general, this is not about PMG. It's really important to understand that when you make a movement, you need those numbers and you need those voices, you know, because everybody's voice matters. And so I think it's a really interesting, um, online 
social kind of experiment, if you will, Mm -hmm. of how communities work. Um, So much so that actually we've gotten the attention of Facebook and, um, you know, so many other big names that, um, you know, that are collaborating with us to really work on community structure and the importance of uh, social interaction, you know, because uh, it's interesting. It's really interesting to see this happen. But those three, those three stories kind of stand out to me. To, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on a tangent, but they're both, they're all three so um, inspiring for different ways. And, and for the mom who, who lost, you know, her daughter, she's not the first person to lose, you know, a mm-hmm. child in the group. And every time we have a loss, it really hits us hard as moms, you know, because that could be us too, you know? And I think no matter mom or dad, you know, you, you, you never should be burying your children. And, um, and so we've come together as a community and, and we've done things in the past. There was a woman who lost her child last year and we um, renovated a library, um, that a local library to yeah. her that she uses. I was thinking of her too. And we also, she had a chronic mm-hmm. illness. So I remember doing, she reached, yeah. she did reach her first birthday. And I remember we had, and this is interesting too. We talk about friendships as adults. Sometimes it's really hard to make friendships as adults. Um, and many women have kind of mentioned that. I think that that mother also didn't have much of a local support system. And I remember that mm-hmm. we had like a PMG kind of like birthday for her her uh, child yeah. her, mm. who was terminally ill her um, birthday it was like a virtual birthday party wow and that was I remember that story too and I would just want to say Hala you are like you're an emergency room doctor by day or by night but then you're kind of on call with this group too because I can remember instances where there's been physician mothers that have been in situations where there are two things one um, in a uh, domestic violence um, situation where they're being abused yeah. and there's been times when you have called like basically found out where that person was and had to make sure they were okay. There was another one I think that was very depressed. Maybe it was also actually in that kind of situation that expressed suicidal thoughts on the group. And, you know, we, you have to, as physicians, as as a caring individual, we have to actually take action. And you were like always on and making sure that everybody in the community is okay. Yeah, definitely. PMG has become my fourth child, um, or maybe my fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, thousand. (laughs) I don't know. Um, you know, it definitely has. And, you know, I don't work alone. Um, I'd lie to say that, you know, I'm doing this all on my own. I have fantastic um, co-admins and co-moderators. And um, Dina Safe is working her tush off. She's having a baby on Monday. Oh, wow. Um, I know that. Yeah. So I don't think people understand or they don't really truly get the magnitude of pressure that these moderators and co-admins have. Um we're working day and night and we, we see the end result and, 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 and we're, we're seeing the payoff, you know, and people are noticing, people are noticing this, you know, not only is it um, within the group, but also like other organizations in medicine, you know, other medical organizations have reached out to see how we can partner because they see, they see it's important. It's not only important to their membership because they want people to feel supported in their organizations, but also ultimately you need happy doctors. You need happy, healthy doctors to take care of your community. And so, and so we have a lot of buy-in from other medical organizations, um, especially um, the one that's been the most outstanding, I think. Not, well, not shouldn't say the most outstanding, the most supportive as far as, you know, always reaching out to us and, and um, really just giving us anything that we needed is um, the American Osteopathic Association. Um, and they're located in uh, Chicago and they literally have just bent over backwards to help us. And so many others have too. Um, and, uh, so many other companies, we have affiliations with companies such as Metalita. They have bent over backwards to see how they can help support women, um, in medicine. And we're doing some cool projects, especially with the domestic violence. That's something that's going to come out probably at the end of the year. Wow. Um, and so we'll talk more about that when that time comes. Um, and Facebook, Facebook, I'm actually going up there in two weeks and um, we're going to have a discussion. We're going to have a discussion on moms and, and being a doctor and, and how that is. And, and um, I just think it's fantastic. I, you know, honestly, when I was stressed out on that couch making this group pregnant at eight months with these twins that were stressing me out, <laughs> I never, ever thought my life would look like this. Ever. And I think that if I can leave any message with anyone listening, because everybody's life looks different. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a mom that's stressed out. Everybody has their own stressors in life. And the, the, the recipe to this type of experience, I think, is definitely being vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. 
you have to be comfortable in your vulnerability. You got to own it. You've got to be receptive to other people's vulnerabilities. You've got to give, you got to take. That's the hard one. That's really hard to take, especially when you're a giver and you just got to be honest. You know, I'm always honest. There's nothing, there's nothing fake or I don't have like these like beautiful Facebook posts that, I mean, one of my most com- my, one of my most um, liked posts as an admin was this post that I um, had gone to work and, you know, when my, when my kids, some, sometimes my kids will come into my room and sleep with me because they get scared or whatever it may be. So sometimes if I have a really early shift, like I had a shift at five in the morning, I was trying to get ready and I'm getting ready in the dark, you know? And so I'm just hoping to get, you know, my scrubs on and everything. So I get to work, you know, it's a 4 a.m. shift. And, you know, about an hour or two later, I get this patient who comes in get, having CPR being done on them. You know, so, you know, I'm in there and I'm giving orders and I had signed, you know, something one of the pieces of paper and I was taking the pen and I was trying to put it in my pocket and I couldn't find my pocket. I was like, what is going on? Where's my pocket? And I looked down and I realized I'm wearing my scrub top inside out. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what the heck? Like on the outside, everybody thinks I'm like so perfect and I'm wearing my scrub top inside out. So after that case was over, I went into um, the bathroom and took a picture and then wore my shirt the right way. See, as a picture. guy, I would just think you were trying to get one more day out of the shirt. That's, that's <laughs> you know just what? how we think about things. Hey, maybe it's starting a new trend, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I put it up there. And, you know, but that's that's real, right? And so I think that it's important to stay real. Don't ever, don't ever, like, forget who you are. You know, because if you it, when you lose that authenticity, you've lost everything, you know? And so um, I continue to work. I want to work. I love what I do. Um, and even though I've been offered amazing opportunities to leave my job, which would make for more stability, more consistency, probably maybe even more money, who knows, right? I won't do it because this is what makes me me. This is what makes me relevant. This is what makes me continue to fight for all these women, you know? And so I think it's important. Don't lose yourself. Um, so I don't know. That's all I, that's all I got, you know? Wow. Well, it's thank you so much. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Hala. I know actually you have to get going. You have a Mother's Day, a Mother's Day celebration <laughs> at your um, at Syriana's school, your daughter's school. So, mm-hmm. thank you yeah. so much for joining us. And again, thank you for being accommodating and dealing with our time change here. Um, I oh, loved no having this conversation with you. Um, it was so real. I loved it. Yeah. It was awesome. Aww. Thank you so much. And I would love to have you on I don't again. know anything else. <laughs> so thanks for having me. And I think that your podcast is fantastic. I'm going to download it, and I hope everybody will, too. Um, it's downloadable, right, off of the podcast. Are you guys We're on right? iTunes, uh, mm-hmm. Google Play, yeah. uh, Podcast Detroit Network, all those kinds of places. So you don't have too. to live in Detroit. You don't. So if you're, if you're having oh, yeah, no stories... I'm mm-hmm. listening, so I hope everybody else will download it, too. Thank you. And yes, for sure. And you can send me a message on Facebook or whatever and nominate your own hero or tell me or, you know, I'm open yeah. to hearing your story, everyone's stories. So, yes, please like the page on Facebook and follow, download and leave some feedback, too. We'd love to hear from you. And all the, all the working to all the working moms, to all the moms yep. at home. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's happy Day. Mother's Sleep Day. in. Eat a lot. <laughs> And eat that All gross right, pancakes care. your kids make for you regardless, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, have a great day, Hala. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.